And welcome to Leaving in the Geek, the Turning of the Tide question mark edition. I am uh, John Bonus, Trinity Daily with me, Aaron Gleeman of The Athletic. First of all, that was such a forceful intro, John. Second of all, <laughs> it loses a little something when every intro for every show we do for months about this team is turning the tide turning things around <laughs> is this the start of something but it's just like little bit. synonyms for the same little bit yeah this is what happens when you're uh you're a 500 team well go- it, it, i mean it's also we, we said this a lot it, almost every time our perception or our mood going into the Despite the fact that there's 162 games, and we know that they're only each worth one 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 hundred and sixty seconds of the season, uh, our mood is definitely impacted by the last game that we just had. Yeah. Although, so, if that were really true, like if I if my mood were truly based on the last game that I've witnessed the Twins play, uh, I'd have quit the podcast after last <laughs> night's game. We'd be done. I'd be I'd be on another career. I'd be uh, yeah. Probably happier I, in life, but maybe it would be impacted by T pain. How was T pain? Yeah, did well, you stick I, around for it? I did. Well, yeah. I mean, it wasn't really a choice. Yeah, <laughs> uh, uh, the concert was happening, whether I stuck around for it or not. Uh, yeah, I can say I've been to a T pain concert. Now, I'll give them. I'll say this about T pain. Uh, I wasn't really excited to see a T pain uh, concert, which was post game at Target Field last night. Um, but he had many more songs than i expected to recognize like you know uh where i'm like oh ah, okay he's on that or that's his song like i I didn't think there were any it's just a i mean i feel the same way about pitbull because he took me to a pitbull concert whatever it turns out it was one of the best concerts i've ever been to it was really really fun i mean (laughs) i know a lot of pitbull songs maybe that says more about me than uh than anything (laughs) but the so last year is i this might be the only the second post game concert they've had like full-on concert that they've had i know last year there was uh, a guy cole swindell who i wasn't really familiar with country singer and in fact we, we were on the field it was like same time last year basically and we were on the field for bp all the writers just you know you can go watch bp from the dugout or whatever and i was just standing next to this guy for like 20 minutes just some random guy i think he was wearing like basketball shorts and a t-shirt and I'm like, oh, this, you know, once in a while or pretty much every game, there's there's people with what are called field passes, which are just guests of a player or guests right. of a Twins employee or whoever. You know, they they won a contest, whatever it is. And so they're just kind of milling around uh, ab- during BP, similar to how the writers are milling around. They have a <laughs> right. Read. Yes. They, they, they're just as out of place as the writers. Uh, <laughs> watching. And just awkwardly standing yeah. on the field in different but, places, trying to find I, a place not to be in the way. Right. right. And But I stood next to this dude for like 15, 20 minutes and, you know, made a little small talk. And then like at the end of it, you know, midway through batting practice, I forget if it was Dustin Morse or somebody else from the Twins came up and like, uh, you know, hug this guy and then said to us like hey you know uh, cole swindell here he is the man like <laughs> and i went oh hey man How, how's it going and uh then i left early for that concert because i wanted to beat the traffic but i stayed for t-pain and um it was it was fine it it's a it's a weird vibe the post-game concert because um it's 
decently attended, I would say, but you know, not full. And they, all the lights are on. Like there's no, it does not have a concert vibe. It's like a, it seems like more of like a noon concert because it's lit. You know how the twins game is lit basically, right? which is, it's like watching a movie in a lit theater. It's like, "Eh, yeah. Okay. And then also they don't want to wreck the field. I mean, they don't like wrecking the field for like Paul McCartney, right? They do it because it sells, you know, 50,000 tickets or whatever it is. So they'll just shred the outfield because, uh, but for this, they were clearly like, well, we're not screwing up the field because they got to play tomorrow. Like all the, all the full concerts that they do, like later, there's uh, what the killers and magic Magic dragons Dragons or whatever. Uh, Those are during road trips, usually at the beginning of extended road trips or during the all-star break so that they have, you know, time to, make the field better afterward well that's not the case here i mean they're playing tonight so they basically they like roped off the baselines like from first base to second base and from second base to third base like the dirt paths for the bases so that was like the pit or like the vip so people (laughs) like it was like roped off so they were like you know a few maybe a few hundred people in the baselines like in their own section and then no one else on the field and then the stands. So, which just, I'm so, so I'm sorry, the way you're saying that there aren't people in the infield, right? They're, they're on the track that the area of the grass around the infield or were they actually in the, the infield? They were in the infield, but only on the dirt. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. They didn't want to screw up the grass. Okay. Gotcha. And so it was like partitioned off. So you had like sort of a pit, except then you had, you know, the grass part of the infield, the pitcher's mound, uh, the batter's box, uh, home plate, <laughs> where the on-deck circles are, and then the dugout area is just empty, and then it, the normal, you know, seated crowd. So it was like, it, it almost looked like people probably would recognize, like, from the Super Bowl, where they'll have, like, 300 people rush the stage at the Super right. Bowl so that it looks <laughs> like the co- a concert might right. look, yeah, and then right. there's just nothing surrounding it. But it's just it was very strange to be sitting in the press box watching a fully lit concert where there were, like, 300 people around the stage, 500 feet of nothing, and then, like, I don't know, I'll say five to something thousand people sitting in the stand people were into it like i don't want to say anything bad about t-pain he did fine but i don't know it's just a it's a strange vibe but also don't listen to me i i haven't <laughs> been to a concert in a very long time i'm yeah, going to listen to grandpa gleeman when it comes yeah to grandpa concerts. gleeman grandpa gleeman is going to a stand-up <laughs> comedy show tonight at the ordway because he prefers stand-up comedy to music and really mostly prefers standing down or st- sitting down to standing up for an actual <laughs> music show so don't listen to what Grandpa Gleeman thinks of T Pain, but yeah, it was fine. There's another one. I, it's a country artist I've never heard of. Um, next month, I think, similar. So yes. yeah, I don't. I mean, I they got twenty seven thousand. I want to say was the attendance last night. Which trust me, there weren't going to be even twenty thousand people at a Thursday game against the Tigers. Right. So in that <laughs> sense, T Pain paid off. Okay, what, good. I asked. I'll ask you what I asked Dan Hayes. What does a T Pain make from a post game concert in Minnesota? Do you think? Oh boy, I had a guess, and then Dan looked it like up. Personally, makes or like how much the Twins end up paying, whatever. Well, yeah, I mean, what I guess I don't know. Personally, makes. I mean, I don't know what his lawyers and his agent get, <laughs> but like, what do the Twins have to pay yeah. the entity known as T Pain uh, for a concert? Do you think? Wow. Ball, you know, just ballpark. Hundred thousand dollars. 
See, that's interesting. That's what Dan said. Dan said fifty to a hundred thousand. Yeah, that's and, where I was going to. And I, he told me to write down my guess, and my guess <laughs> was, my guess was ten thousand. So it's possible Grandpa Gleeman's a little out of out of date on that. <laughs> it paid off. So yeah, I, I think he Googled it, and it said like, if you'd like T pain for your corporate whatever or you know festival, it's uh seventy five to one hundred forty thousand dollars or something. Oh, okay. So I'm not. I decided against having him. Uh, for my birthday based on, <laughs> based on that pricing if if i were having a bar mitzvah coming up let's say if sure this were 1996 i would i would think about it it would you be would worth think, it. and you had that sweet patreon money coming in that's right if 13 year old me at uh going to temple in saint paul at 1996 had that sweet sweet patreon money we certainly would have done better than the crappy dj that we got uh, at, Where at was North. the thirteen-year-old uh, Gleeman's bar mitzvah held? We uh, well, the bar mitzvah is at the temple, but the party was right. uh, at uh, Northwest Racquetball Club. Like um, I oh, forget which you. location. That's a well, big no, spender. No, not really. Uh, it might have <laughs> been honestly. It might have been free. Uh, <laughs> but mine was near the tail end of a year full of bar mitzvah, bar and bat mitzvah parties. So basically, I don't know why I'm going through. Uh, what happens to Jewish kids on this podcast. <laughs> but when you're 13, you have a bar mitzvah. When you're 12 or 13, you have a bar mitzvah. And so like my Sunday school class, everybody that year, there were, you know, there were 50 kids or whatever it is. They all had their bar or bat mitzvah, bar for boys and bat for girls. And so you get invited to one literally every weekend because, and sometimes right. two a weekend, like sometimes you <laughs> yes. have to choose right. like, Hey, do I want to go to Tracy's party or Dan's party? Like, what is my, and so, I, mine was in. Is it always Saturdays? Yeah, the the bar mitzvah is Friday and Saturday, and then the parties like Saturday night usually, sometimes you, okay. Sunday. Um, but but mine was like on Mother's Day weekend, I think for some reason. And by the time that rolled around, I had been to like forty bar mitzvah parties, <laughs> and about two thirds of them were just a DJ or a band. Uh, you know, at the temple itself or some location. And so I was like, I'm sick of that. I don't want to do that. I've been slow dancing with these same eight girls who probably hate me, <laughs> you know, to boys, to men for 40 weeks in a row. Nobody needs another one of that. So we like played basketball and went swimming and stuff. But I don't know why I'm talking about this other than it relates in my head to T. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll, but, give you, I'll give you a transition. Yeah. Uh, well, speaking of Barbets for Badminton, I'm uh, in Philadelphia for we, the reason if you're getting some warble at some point during the uh, hour and a half episodes that we generally do, we should probably call out. It's because I am in uh, Philadelphia. We are doing this from a thousand miles apart and I'm here because of a different rate of passage graduation. My son's graduating college. He had his first, he's actually got two, um, two graduation ceremonies, one for like his school and then one for the whole university. And the school one was last night and the university one is supposedly tonight. And it's supposedly at citizen bank stadium. Where the Phillies play, Citizen Bank Ballpark. I'm sorry, where the uh, where the Phillies play, except for two things. The first is uh, it's going to be a little bit of a nightmare because you know Philadelphia has a sports complex. All their stadiums are in one area, and playing right next door in the, the Lincoln in the, at the Link where the Eagles play is Billy Joel tonight. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, who? By the way, can I just say Billy Joel has had a bar mitzvah. Which, yeah, I was gonna say I was at my friend's bar mitzvah. <laughs> played my friend's bar mitzvah. No, I'm saying he had one. He's probably know, maybe maybe yeah, he's played one. He might have played one too. Who knows? <laughs> Way back in the early 70s, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> early 60s. 
uh, and then uh, the other thing is that uh, after uh, after it, it's supposed to be a very cool event, but it's also supposed to be thunderstorming during uh, it today. So yeah. I don't know if it's even going to happen. So. Have you thought about as a way to celebrate uh, your son Riggs's uh, graduation? Maybe hiring T Pain for some sort of <laughs> post graduation. That is uh, a great idea. We went to a Brazilian steakhouse instead. How did that? Was that like? 70, it was about the same cost as T Pain, yeah, to be honest. Seventy-five grand for that. <laughs> uh, okay, it was. So, it was not Fogo de Chao. It was a local one. Okay. Yeah. I, uh, I've been, well, we don't need to talk about that. I'm, I'm, I guess I'm in the mood to be easily distracted. To, this morning, <laughs> well, so otherwise you got to talk about Sonny Gray's pitching last night. Yeah, that's right. So, okay. So twins, uh, you know, same, same story. They, uh, they lose the five in a row to Cleveland and Tampa. They go on the road to Toronto, which has been, you know, very difficult uh, road trip for them historically. And they take two out of three, but even yep. in taking two out of three, they blow their chance to sweep with a pretty ugly loss uh, for the the one loss that they took. Then they bounce back. They come back home for the start of a, a ten game homestand, an extended homestand, and they they sweep the uh, two game mini series from Milwaukee, including the very dramatic Carlos Correa walk off to cap a, a four run rally against uh, probably the best reliever in the National League, Devin Williams, the the Brewers closer, and then. You think to yourself, okay, they got a little momentum here. They've yep. bounced back. They they got up off the canvas after being knocked down. Offense is scoring points. some runs. Yep, and then they just lay a complete egg uh, against a Detroit Tigers team that is just decimated by injuries and not that good to begin with. And they had lost, I don't know, nine in a row, eight in a row, eight of nine, whatever it is. They've I fallen. Think they lost from, like eleven of twelve or something. Yeah, <laughs> they were swept yesterday in a or swept the day before in a doubleheader. Yeah, I mean it's uh they 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 lost. This is one of those you know sometimes you say, you know the the other team won. You didn't really lose your game, and this right. is the opposite. The Twins didn't really, you know, the Tigers didn't really win this game. The Twins just lost it over and over again. You mentioned Sonny Gray, who we're going to talk about here in a minute, but they score the four runs early thanks uh, largely to Donovan Solano's second homer in four games after previously going sixty-two games without a home run dating back to last season. Um, they get out to a four, they score a four spot there. And it, I guess it was four one at that point. And then that's it. And that's a very, uh, familiar story for the offense, both this year and especially last year, where it was like, they'd score three in the first or five in the first three, and then completely vanish offensively. And that's kind of what happened. And then, uh, Sonny Gray crew was cruising initially, then had a, you know, really rough fourth inning where he walked three, loaded the bases through, I think, 35 pitches, which is a lot for one inning, uh, and then was removed, which we'll discuss the uh, decision-making and aftermath of that shortly. But And then the bullpen just came in and uh, kind of imploded a little bit, and you, lo- you lose a game to Detroit, but three more against Detroit, and then they also have four uh, against Boston at home, and then after that, they go to Detroit. So... You know, at some point here, you're going to have to take care of business against Detroit. Otherwise, uh, two weeks from now, this is going to look a lot uglier than it is. But I don't know. I just keep coming back to, and we've discussed this, and players and Baldelli were asked about this last night, which is the vibe with this team is just sort of constantly, hey, we're better than this, and we'll get to a point where that shows. But will they? 
Are they <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, they, I mean, they've got to, they've got to get it done, right? They've got to get there. Right. It's, I mean, I feel the same way. I keep waiting for like a six game winning streak or something. And I mean, that's why, listen, a random loss on a Thursday night, because, you know, suddenly some semi-reliable relievers are not so reliable in the middle innings. That's that happens six times a year. Sure. Right? Every, every baseball season. This is not a significant one, but it did start to feel like, okay, for most of the season, Detroit has been the team kind of chasing the twins, which is you know goofy enough, but you know, they for up until this latest losing streak. And it felt like, okay, but we know they're really, really struggling. We've got four games against them. They're at home. A couple of big wins uh, just preceding this, taking care of business for, versus Toronto. Uh, you know, we've seen Correa come up with some huge hits, uh, and that f- he f- certainly feels like he's turning it around. So let's go. Uh, let's take. Uh, listen, we play set, Detroit seven times in the next ten games. Let's go. Let's go. Uh, let's go five and two versus Detroit. Right. Get to start getting our team back to the the high the high water mark for this team. I think this year has been five games above five hundred. Felt like okay, we've got a chance to get out of this homestand five games over five hundred. Let's see what happens. Back back to the high water mark. Right. And yeah, it's not that this doesn't make it impossible, but it's just <laughs> now, now, now you're looking like, I go, you know, most likely going to split with Detroit. You don't want to split with Detroit, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, this team just sort of, they make the degree of difficulty for themselves higher than it needs to be. And also, you know, they just got through what is the toughest part of their schedule for the whole season. Like they just completed it and it didn't go particularly well, obviously, but we talked uh, on the Patreon show a couple days ago about, I think it was uh, the number was like 42 of the next 56 beginning with this Detroit series were against teams that didn't have winning records and their remaining strength of schedule for the entire season is the lowest in all of baseball, but that's fine if you're not one of the teams <laughs> but that, yeah. that other teams are looking at on their schedule as weak spots. And so right. you have to, like you said, take care of business. Like it doesn't do you any good to just theoretically have a you know weak strength of schedule, obviously. And right. within that, you know, if like if the Tigers have a weak strength of schedule, who cares? Because the Tigers are themselves part of someone else's weak strength of schedule. And so the worry with the Twins at this point is, are the Twins a team that gets circled on the calendar of other teams or the schedule of other teams as like, all right, well, we'll take care of business against the Twins here and then we'll get off to a good start and we'll blah, blah, blah. So I don't know. It's just such an up and down roller coaster of a season. And it just seems kind of needless in that so many of these losses and these momentum breaking losses, which by the way, I'm fully on record as saying there is no such thing as momentum in baseball, but it gets talked about endlessly. Um, You know, if you've lost three in a row, if you won three in a row, every question from everyone is uh, how do you change the momentum or how do you keep the momentum? And the truth is you don't, it just happens or doesn't, but like ultimately are they better than, well, right now they're 35 and 34. Are they better than 35 and 34? Yeah, I mean, there's some signs of that. I think if you look at it individually or up and down the roster, or you just say they have very good pitching and the lineup should perform better and 
all that stuff, or you just look at like run differential. Right, I was going to say that. Yep. Which they're, I don't know, plus forty roughly or something like that. I think they're sixth best in the majors or something. You go, well, yeah, they 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 should be better than this. But I mean, we're coming up on I don't know halfway through the season. Like it, it's those wins and losses are banked. Like you don't get to undo those really, and so that can work in your favor. But in a case like this, it works against you. Which is, yeah, are they better than thirty five and thirty four? Probably, especially given the upcoming schedule, I think they'll probably prove to be better than, you know, right at 500. But A, you got to actually do it. You can't just talk about doing it, which there's been so much talk about them doing it, uh, which is natural. But I'm I'm, I'm sick of that. I'm yeah, sick all, of all, that. all that strength of schedule stuff is fine. But you know what that means is you've got to beat Detroit. You know, like, yes. <laughs> like the, the, all, what that's all pointing is, hey, we've got a whole lot of Detroit left of this. Game. You just lost to Detroit, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's so and bad. I think I think it's natural for a team that should be better than their record to be when they're asked about why are you not better than your record or they're just asked about a loss that was painful like last night to have them say, well, we're confident we're better than this and we'll get on track and I'm not worried about that and, and blah, blah, blah. But I don't want to get back to the, the confidence discussion we had with the Dan Hayes <laughs> on the Patreon, certainly. But it, it does kind of remind me of that, which is like, it's good that the people in that clubhouse believe that or at least say that. I don't know that they believe it. I can't get inside their heads. But to to everyone else, that doesn't really matter. Like the, you know, their confidence levels or their faith in that or their trust in that or their, you know, self-evaluation, it only matters to the extent that they can make it matter. It only matters to the extent that they can manifest it into actual wins and losses. And so the the more weeks that go by and the more, you know, five game losing streak followed by a good five game stretch followed by you dump a game or two to a team you should definitely beat. And then everyone says afterward, well, don't worry, we'll start hitting and the pitching's good and we have faith and you look around this clubhouse and it's too talented to be where it is. And it's like, well, what what does that say for you guys at this point? Like, if that is true, first of all, it might not be true. Um, (laughs) And if it is true, what does that say? Are we just chalking this all up to bad luck? The fact that this just plays out the same way over and over and over again, which is, you know, one step forward, one step back, you, you do well. And then you step on a rake. Like what is, I don't know. It it gets, it gets, I don't want to be like too harsh because I don't think it's uncommon for players and and coaches and stuff to have that attitude. And it's better than the opposite attitude. Right. Oh my God, we suck. I'm not asking him to do that, but I think it as, as someone observing it or someone listening to it, I just get to a point where I kind of tune out. It's like, well, who cares? Like, do it or don't. Like, uh, and so, yeah, that's where I, that's where I am. It's probably been a similar theme to open the last uh, 400 shows, but that's kind of where I am. Just to take this to actual, you know, they've got their next seven, no, three, four, five, ten. Their next ten games are versus teams with losing records, right? Red Sox have to have a losing record at this point, right? So, you know, if you want to make a run, this is the time to make a run. Right. This right. is this is the time. You know, I guess six and four is great. Uh five and five is gonna be real disappointing. Uh seven and three is what you're kind of looking to do here and do some real damage and give yourself just a little bit more separation from Cleveland and the rest of the AL Central. Right. 
right? And this is the week to do that. Most of those games are at home. You've got seven games at home and you've got 10 games versus teams that you should beat. And after that, by the way, you're not going to be on the road versus Atlanta and Baltimore. You don't want this, you, you know, you're going to have to tread water there. So yeah, now's the time to make some, make a difference. So. Yeah. I mean, if you're a, if you're a basketball team, you got to make your layups because you don't know that you're going to make your three pointers. You know what I mean? Like you, you got to win the games you're supposed to to win, you got to take care of business on long home stands against bad teams because you don't know what's going to happen when you are in tougher situations. So, I don't know. We're we're not we don't get on this show, which we call the free show, the weekly show that you're listening to right now. Hello, hi everyone. Um, <laughs> that's you. I'm talking directly to you. Um, we generally don't break down like individual games or moments. I mean, we talk about them, but we don't really get like in depth. If you want that sort of thing, we do that. It's just right. on the Patreon side, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, uh, patreon.com slash Gleeman. For instance, uh, a couple Wednesday. days ago, yeah, Wednesday, <laughs> we broke down like almost play by play uh, through the comeback against Milwaukee that culminated with the uh, with the Correa walk off and kind of talked about, you know, how it was built brick by brick and the important moments and some moments that kind of flew under the radar that were just as important as some of the other ones. And some of and, the sabermetrics behind each of the, each right. of the steps too. So we're not going to, you know, go back into that, especially because that seems like it was five months ago in my brain now. <laughs> uh, but if you like that, we would love to have you join us uh, on the Patreon side to hear that sort of thing. A uh, couple of, I guess, three significant roster moves since last we spoke and we can talk about them in any order they're all you know lineup related uh byron buxton came back from the injured list after missing uh two weeks uh with bruised ribs from the uh, 97 mile an hour fastball that he took on a hit by pitch um he was he bumped trevor larnick back to triple a which we can talk about uh similar timeline was jorge polanco going back on the injured list with more hamstring problems and that corresponding move was Ed Julian coming up to replace him on the roster and step in as the primary second baseman and then the other uh, transaction on that front was Joey Gallo returning from the injured list also where he was with a uh, with a hamstring injury and then that corresponding move was Kyle Garlick being sent down this is now a I say this at uh, let's look at the time 7:33 central time Friday June 16th the twins lineup is about as healthy as it's ever going to get at this point I mean you're down <laughs> Polanco right uh and I say the time and the date cuz like by the time you guys listen to this they might have 15 hitters on the IL the way things go with them but like Polanco is out and that hurts as we've talked about Polanco generally doesn't get enough credit in my opinion for his all-around impact when healthy. But the when healthy part with him has become so few and, and far between uh, the last year and a half, basically, after he was essentially an Ironman for the first 700 games of his career. He never won on the IL. He's been on the IL now five times since last June, and during that time he's only played 76 games, and it's been kind of up and down during those 76 games. So aside from Polanco and then the only other you know, regular, let's call him, on the IL is is Nick Gordon, who's out with a fractured fibia or tibia. Um, you know, that's not fully healthy, but by twin standards, that is fully healthy. I mean, that is Baldelli right. even said actually pregame yesterday, 
someone asked him about, you know, Buxton coming back and the state of the lineup, basically. And he said, you know, we can wait for a fully healthy uh, roster, but that such a thing may not ever exist uh, over the course of a 162 game season for us or for any team, but certainly for the twins. And so I kind of feel the same way. We've talked about that before, which is it. It doesn't I don't want to say like provides cover, but it it provides reason to kind of not get overly frustrated by the present when you can just constantly be saying, well, yeah, just wait until everyone comes back and then they'll be in good shape. But that's never going to happen. So this is about as close to healthy as the Twins lineup is going to get. You have Buxton back in the DH spot. You have Julian and Farmer basically platooning at second base in place of Polanco. And then you have Gallo uh, back playing corner outfield, maybe some first base, um, mostly against righties, but he plays pretty much every day. Uh, So the only real change other than getting some of your better hitters back and getting another look at, at Julian, which I think is a good thing, is that they can no longer put out nine right-handed hitters against the left-handed pitcher, which we saw last night. So they're back to having to choose one lefty bat uh, to you know, kind of toss out there against the lefty. And for the first time, I think, in that situation, it was Alex Kirilov who got the nod uh, in that spot against Matthew Boyd last night. And not only that, he batted third. Which yeah, I saw uh, that. I'm I mean, surprised by that. We actually we just talked on the Patreon Wednesday again. I guess we were asked a mailbag question about platooning uh, or why the Twins platoon young hitters like Kirilov uh, and other lefties mostly. And we talked a lot about that. And then to see the next uh, two days later, he's not only in there, which is fine against the lefty, but in there and batting third uh, seems seemed a little odd. But again, you know, <laughs> there are no real perfect, straightforward, ideal lineups at this point, given this group and, and how they're performing. But yeah, I thought that was interesting. The, uh, I don't know, from a health standpoint, Buxton, I'm assuming, is going to get a few days off here and there, but he's back as the DH. But of note, he returned without a rehab, with a rehab, center, rehab yep. just like Max Kepler, whereas yep. like uh, Gallo, for instance, went on a rehab assignment to AAA, and uh, Kent Maeda, it's different for, for pitchers, but Kent Maeda has been on a rehab assignment with AAA for a couple weeks now and is starting tonight, actually, making his fourth start, I want to say. Uh, Buxton went 0 for 4 in his return, which obviously could have happened even if he had gone on a rehab assignment, but it is starting to get weird. The guys who they choose to send on a rehab assignment and the guys they choose to just, Hey, welcome back. You're right back in the lineup because I would guess, and I guess someone me maybe can go back through and crunch the numbers on this so that we're not just talking out of our butts here, but I'm going to guess the immediate, like let's say five games for each of these players, Kepler being the, the primest example recently who have jumped back into the lineup without a rehab assignment. They aren't real good. Like Except for Polanco, I would say. Well, yeah, Polanco really... actually probably skews all of the results to maybe good because well, he's just been so... Actually, let me say this. I misspoke because Polanco went on a rehab assignment. So Oh, uh, you're right. So yep, that's right. yeah, that's out. So it's yeah, it's uh it's interesting. Now they will tell you, the twins will tell you that, you know, with someone like Buxton, he's taking tons of swings in the cage. He's hitting off, you know, velocity machines. He's doing all sorts of behind-the-scenes work that makes it so that they don't feel the the rehab assignment is necessary. I also think it seems like uh, 
Buxton has kind of indicated that he doesn't like going on rehab assignments <laughs> in large part because he's been injured while on rehab assignments been before, like he's been hit by pitches uh-huh. um, or he's, you know, strained a muscle that wasn't initially injured. And so I think given his history with injuries, uh, he's his, you know, approach to rehabs are like, are they more trouble than they're worth? Are they more dangerous than beneficial? And, you know, maybe that's uh, a stretch logically, but it is true that I looked, you know, he has been hurt on a couple of rehab assignments. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I do kind of get from his standpoint where it's like, yeah, I don't, I don't need a rehab assignment. Let's just jump back in here. But it, it does, it's not a great look optics wise for Kepler or Buxton when they jump back in and, you know, go two for 25 or whatever. Cause Oh, for four right away. Yeah. yeah I mean, although I mean, he did get on base just because of that error, but yeah. Yeah. In the, yeah, but it was already, it was uh eight, four by that point. Right. Um, so yeah, uh, we can talk, I don't know, maybe we'll go through some of these moves, what it means for the lineup, but first let's do our, uh, do our sponsors here. The first sponsor is one of our longest time sponsors, which is Harry's Razors. Yep. Uh, able they, to, if, yeah, I, I will tell you, uh, even if you have been a Harry's Razors customers, and I know a lot of our uh, listeners have been Harry's Razors customers, I'd suggest maybe you take a look at them again uh, in part because you're going to want one for when you're traveling. I was so nice uh, to be able to uh, travel to Philadelphia and still be able to get the same close shave that I get at home because I've got uh, Harry's razors in my travel bag, as well as the Harry's razors that I have at home. And, uh, and they, they have a uh, craft handle starter set with the uh, sleekest handle on their razors yeah. that they had left for just 10 bucks. It's got a $17 value. It's a, re- it's a good thing to like try out Harry's or like you said, try Harry's again. If it's been a while, yeah. you get the, uh, you get a razor with a craft handle. It's got five blade German engineered razor cartridge. It's got it comes with shaving gel and then like you mentioned, comes with a very nice travel cover so you can feel like you're a you're a businessman on the road, even if you're just some uh, schmuck going to Philadelphia for his kids' uh, <laughs> kids' graduation. That's right, Don yes. Draper. That's um, it. And then uh, you, yeah, so you, the, this this the, this new one can become your your home one, and then you can take your home home one and turn it into your travel. That's what I would suggest. Yeah, these these craft ones are really very nice. They very sort of metallic handle, but it's got kind of little rubber bumps on there. There, so it makes it a little easier to hold. It's very nice. So Gleeman and the Geek listeners can uh, elevate their shave with the latest and greatest in Harry's razor handle lineup. You can get your seventeen dollar value craft handle starter set for just ten bucks. Go to harrys.com slash Gleeman. That's harrys, H-A-R-R-Y-S, harrys.com slash Gleeman, and give it a try. And then our uh, second sponsor. Twins are in the middle of a huge homestand, and we have found one of the best ways to get tickets right now is the Game Time app. So what you do is you go to download the app, Game Time, G, all one word, Game Time. And um, what they do is they, <laughs> I have used it half a dozen times already this season uh we've got already you know a couple of tickets to twins games chrissy and i do but we like to go with friends we like to bring our daughter and uh, we go out there and grab just before game time a couple of uh, tickets on the game time app yeah their specialty is sort of last minute tickets like if you just go hey we should go to this and it's not just games it's concerts uh, all kinds of stuff where you just go you wake up that morning and you go oh yeah we should go to this and then you think eh, it's gonna be really hard to get tickets Game time specialty is last minute tickets and also just within that 
hard to find tickets. So, That's you know, right. if you're thinking it's going to be hard to get, download the app and at least give it a try. Go concerts too. Probably yep. so you can be on, even be on concerts at Target Field like T Pain. That's right. Uh, You can snag the tickets without the stress with Game Time. You download the Game Time app. You just create an account, and then once you do that, you use the promo code Gleeman, and you will get twenty dollars off your first purchase. Terms apply. But again, create an account on the Game Time app. Redeem the code Gleeman for twenty bucks off. Last minute tickets, lowest prices guaranteed. Okay. Um, somebody emailed in the Patreon mailbag and said, "This isn't a question. I just wanted to point out that Aaron says." Okay, after every ad read, <laughs> which is uh, undeniably true, I've realized. But I don't know if that's okay. a, if that's just a tick in my brain or it's my way of sort of You're resetting, yeah, you know, separating out the ad from the the real content. But um, I guess we can go. You know, the gallo for for garlic swap is pretty self explanatory. I think we probably don't need to break that down, but I think the the Buxton for Larnick and julian for polanco ones are each probably worth a little bit of a discussion and then we'll get into the uh last night's sunny gray rocco baldelli uh battle royale that really wasn't but will be played up that way i'm sure so we can talk about that but um with buxton and larnick uh you know (laughs) i think there's a sense that and we've talked about this but there's a sense that larnick is needs to get a clear path here to full playing time. Not yeah. so much because well, where would been... we find that? Where would we find that clear path? <laughs> you know, it's funny last night, like <laughs> before the game went nuts and Sonny Gray got removed and that became clearly what Dan Hayes was going to write his game story about. Yeah. He turned to me in like the, I don't know, third inning or something. And he said, uh, I don't know, with Larnick getting sent down, that might be worth writing about. And I was like, well, what do you mean? And he goes, well, you know how he gets sent down for Buxton, but really it's Kepler that's blocking him. Maybe that's (laughs) worth something. And I said, Dan, have you ever read The Athletic before? (laughs) And I sent him a link from uh, 10 days ago that was, uh, how long will the Twins let Max Kepler block Matt Walner and Trevor Larnick? And he went... Oh well, yeah, but you know, still. Uh, and I thought, feel free to write it again. I'm sure I'll get in trouble for it. Like I'll get the, <laughs> I'll get the crap for it. But um, but I think with with Larnick, you know, he's played like 170 games for the Twins. But it's be- I don't know that he's ever played like more than two months consecutively. Either because he's been sent down like he is now, or he's gotten hurt which has happened in each of the last three seasons. But like, so he he stopped his own momentum such that it existed with injuries. But then within that, he still is because of Kepler and because of Buxton, but yeah, really because of Kepler, he's the, the first guy in reserve still, instead of the, you know, clear cut top of the depth chart. And so I I do think there's a sense of like, when is this guy going to just get a clean runway here to do his thing and not have to worry about, you know, getting sent back down. Cause now he's been sent up and down what three times this season, I think. But I will also say, like, he hasn't done, no. he has not taken advantage of the situations that he's been in. Like, you know, yes, would it be great if he just got six months, a full season to play, and he played 140 games and he never had to worry about getting sent down and all that stuff? Yes, absolutely. And there are choices the Twins have made, specifically with Kepler, that have kept him from doing that. 
you know, they they knew that was likely going to happen. But here's the truth about Trevor Larnick, and I, I still think he has the potential to be a, a above average hitter. But he's 26 years old at this point. He has a. I'm looking at his stats. He's got 177 games in the majors, 658 plate appearances. So over a full season. Now that's spread over three seasons, like I said. Right, and a lot of those times he was probably hurt. Yes, but also that's not a good thing for him either. No, Do you know what no, I mean? Like, no, he, he's he might just be a guy who's hurt. Uh, he's hit 222 with a 315 on base percentage and a 376 slugging percentage. You know, none of those three numbers are good. They're all below average. He's got a 690 OPS. His OPS plus is 93, which means he's been 7% worse than a league average hitter and even even worse than that compared to a corner outfielders who are generally good hitters. Uh, OPS plus this season is 94. And then within that, he had that really good. He made the opening day roster because Kirilov was not ready. And he had that really good first, you know, four or five games, including the three run homer in uh, in Miami. Since then, he's played 43 games and he's hit 184 with five homers. That's just bad. I mean, that you that warrants being optioned to AAA on its own, you know, regardless right. of. Max Kepler or Byron Buxton or the outfield situation. Like if you just had a 26 year old guy in his third major league season and for 50 games, basically he hit 184 with very little power. You can't really, you know, put up that much of a, of a fight getting demoted. And I'm not saying he put up a fight. He, you know, he's pretty professional about things. I think Larnick. Yeah, I agree. He's, I, I wonder if he's getting to a point where, you know, yes, has he gotten, you know, a full clean look at this thing? Not really, but he also has really failed to take advantage at any point. And he's had some good moments, but, you know, just too many strikeouts. And the weird part to me is, you know, he'll flash such substantial raw power. Like few guys on the twins can hit the ball further to more places in the ballpark. Like he, you know, to dead center, he's had just some monster home runs at target field. He can go out to left center. I mean, when he connects, the ball just flies, except you look and it's like, well, he's got a, he's got a 376 lifetime slugging percentage. He has 18 home runs in 650 plate appearances. Like right. if the, if the power is not going to be there, if it's just going to be sort of 20 homer power or 15, 20 homer power, you know, he can't strike out this much. He's got 222 strikeouts in 177 games. Like, you know, you can't hit 222 with a bad on base percentage and not have power. And, you know, he's done his part in terms of drawing walks. He he takes patient at bats. I think he generally takes good at bats. I don't think he swings at bad pitches. I just think when he swings, he just swings and misses so often, especially against non fastballs, against breaking balls, off speed pitches. Uh, that he just has such trouble finding consistency and putting together long stretches where he's being productive. And I just wonder at age 26 with 180 games in the majors under his belt, at what point, you know, let's say the next time Byron Buxton gets hurt or Joey Gallo gets hurt or Max Kepler gets hurt or the twins, you know, decide to finally part ways with Max Kepler. Let's say at what point does Matt Walner move ahead of Larnick on the call-up pecking order? Like, at what point do the Twins say, we're not giving up on Trevor Larnick, but why, to me at least, why is it always, why does it continue to be Larnick as first man up or next man up when 
Walner A has performed better at AAA than than Larnick, and B has actually vastly outperformed him in the majors. Now it's only been like 30 games or something, but Walner has certainly been more productive than Larnick in when given a chance. And so I think that's the one takeaway from this Buxton returning and Larnick going back. I think roster wise, unless they were going to cut Kepler, it's what made sense that that was the expected move. But I just wonder the next time a left-handed hitting corner outfielder is needed. And given the, how things go with the twins, that might be like later this week. I just feel like, What's the argument for calling up Larnick again over Walner? Um, so well, I wonder if that's you know. I kind mean, we of should also mention that Walner take. also is not a lot younger than Larnick. He's a year younger, right? He's twenty five versus twenty six. Well, that's thing. But that would be part of my argument in favor of that, which is if you're not giving Walner a chance now, if 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 Walner cannot get a chance at age twenty five in his second season of crushing Triple A pitching. Because he's behind a 26 year old, you know, 690 OPS Trevor Larnick. Well, that doesn't speak real highly of what the Twins think of of Trevor Walner or of Trevor Walner. There's the platoon, <laughs> Trevor Walner of Matt Walner. And you know, maybe that's true. I just I'm at the point where why not at least find out? You know what I mean? Like Walner's been given two opportunities and he's looked pretty decent in both yeah. of them, including really good the last time. Um, and so yeah. I don't know. That's, well, you that's, you, fo- that you was... focused on that side of the question, which is a a good point. I hadn't really thought too much about where he is in relation to Walner. Uh, you, as you were reading his career stats, mm-hmm. I had crunched the numbers a day before about uh, Max Kepler's stats over those same three years. Yeah. That uh, and we, you know, we gave all kinds of caveats to Trevor Larnick. Right, he has been playing a lot of those games hurt. Right, so maybe. He's been battling various things. He's clearly been reticent about telling the team. Sometimes when he was dealing with something, we thinks that ha- we think that has changed now, right? He is absolutely still learning some stuff. Uh, he's having trouble hitting off-speed pitches. He's having trouble, you know. But he's also got, as you mentioned, a certain amount of upside. You take a look at Kepler's stats over those exact same three years that we've had right. Larnick up. They're almost and- identical. Almost, they are almost identical. You yeah. know, the, the 215 batting average, 305 on base, 380 slugging, right? Which is similar to, you know, a, what did you say? 220, 222, that, 315, right. 370. I mean, it's identical. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's identical. Um, I agree completely. I mean, yes, if your argument here is Max Kepler should be the one to go and to make room for Trevor Larnick, which then in turn would make more room for no. Matt or Matt Walner then being the next man up, you will find no argument here. I right. just chose to not start a 15th consecutive podcast ranting about <laughs> Max Kepler right. and or Emilio Pagan. I decided to give the people a break. But much like Dan, <laughs> much like Dan Hayes last night turning to me and saying, Hey, have you ever thought about Kepler maybe being the one to go? I agree. <laughs> if that's your, you and Dan should get together. It's called the uh, delayed reaction club. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I mean, I completely agree with that. I, I uh, Max Kepler. I mean, it's, uh, it's just it's just interesting to me that you've got a guy who, you know, we kind of look at Larnick as, you know, close but not quite there. We're not really sure if he's going to make it. Um, and. <laughs> Meanwhile, we've had the the other guy down there that we're paying eight and a half million dollars. Right. That is 
you know, putting up exactly the same stats over the exact same period of time, probably with more at bats. Truth be told, I haven't even taken a look at the plate appearances. Of course. And you're just kind of like, uh, well, maybe we should. It's, it's clearly one of them has more upside than the other at this point, you would think. Um, yes. I mean, but we've no. both been pretty clear about the Kepler situation. I mean, you could put together a 10 hour tape of you and I ranting about Max Kepler. Or you listening to me rant and then you say, <laughs> yeah, I agree. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree. Like, if the choice is Max Kepler or Trevor Larnick, give me Trevor Larnick. If the choice is Max Kepler or Matt Walner, give me Matt Walner. If the choice is Max Kepler or almost any, you know, living, breathing 25-year-old outfielder with a pulse, uh, give me that guy. But, you know, so, yeah, we, we should mention that, like, if getting rid of Kepler would create an everyday job for Larnick, which in turn would create much more playing time for Walner as the next man up, well, yeah, that's killing, I guess, two birds, maybe three birds with one stone. I've just like gotten so frustrated with the Kepler situation and the Twins' lack of movement on that over the last year or two years um, that I've just I mean, give, that's probably given up easy, on that. You just mentioned this is about as healthy a Twins team as we've seen in last well probably a year and a half but uh you know, certainly the last few months so you know it's not surprising that we can take a look at it and go you know, maybe it's time to sacrifice some depth for you know some possible upside here when it comes to the you know the 10th overall or 11th overall uh you know offense and of the american league sure um so you know i, I understand this is the this is um, the time it makes the most sense to do that. And you might, you know, if Gallo's hamstring acts up again and Larnick's groin acts up again and Buxton's, you know, everything acts up again, you know, they might be at the point where they're looking for some depth. But I also think one of the things that about this transaction that it calls out is the fact that, you know, you didn't send down Larnick for, Kepler when he came off the DL, you send it down for Buxton, which isn't you know necessarily a one to one move. Is that they do have enough flexibility in in some places that they can they can probably accommodate you know an injury to a corner outfielder in some places. So I don't know. It feels to me like well we we said this I think at the beginning of June, which is you know we are at the point where the clock is ticking on Kepler a little bit. That at yeah, some this, point, if you're keeping him, if, if you're keeping him around for depth, that depth starts mattering less and less and less every game that is played at this point. Right. I mean, it's and, the world's longest ticking clock. At well, this point, yeah, so. no, I mean, yeah, but you, <laughs> listen, we can. Obviously, it's easy to take a look at his performance and say it's not clear why he's here, right? But the answer is the reason the organization is hesitant to, to leave him is they can't just send him down to AAA and they can't just bury him on the bench. Right, they have to actually cut ties with him completely, and this organization does not like to give up depth. And by the way, uh, with all the injuries they have suffered over the last uh, year and a half, two two and a half years, you can see why they were probably a little gun shy about that. Right, sure. it does it does feel to me like as the season goes on, that depth becomes a little less less critical. So, well, and let's, I mean, let's just cut the cut the shit here. If the guy's hitting 190, which Max Kepler has now since the All Star break last year, right? What's the what is that depth? 
Mm-hmm. Like, you know what I mean? Right, what yeah. is that providing? Like, he's just one of your worst players. The fact that you have an additional bad player around is not depth. And in <laughs> well, this when, case, when a guy's hitting like Mark Contreras, you've always got depth. <laughs> you, you can replace him, you know? Well, yeah, I mean, Max Kepler has ceased being a productive player. Like, I think he's hitting 188 since last year's All-Star break, which we're talking, I don't know, 90 games or something like that. And he wasn't all that good for the year and a half before that either. And so you can say, theoretically, yes, they're keeping Max Kepler around as depth because, hey, if we get rid of Max Kepler and then Trevor Larnick gets hurt, what will we do? Well, A, Max Kepler isn't helping you as is. And B, if you get rid of Max Kepler and then someone gets hurt, what will you do? You will call up Matt Walner, which you probably should have done anyway. Yeah. Uh, and so I completely agree with what you're saying, which is why is this a argument of Larnick versus Walner as next man up when it's really an argument of why the hell is Kepler blocking both of them or one of them, you know? Uh, but I, we've lost that argument. Like, I mean, I just, we can scream about that till we're horse uh, and beating dead horse. Uh, two different kinds of horses but the same thing related <laughs> to max kepler but i i will say this people are not going to like this next sentence i'm going to say but i was told uh very recently that there is nothing cooking with with max kepler in terms of uh moving him at this mm. point uh so that's where we're at and so yeah my larnick versus walner uh thoughts are only in relation to the idea that the twins just aren't going to cut loose Max Kepler. I think that's a tremendous mistake, but unfortunately that's kind of the reality we're in at this situation. So um similarly, I guess was is Julian who uh, is having a third straight exceptional year in the minors, uh putting up huge on base percentage, good power numbers, look good during spring training is just clearly, you know, major league ready as an offensive player. Uh, but because the Twins were only playing him at second base, he was blocked by Polanco. Now, he's fortunate, I suppose, that Polanco now is injured uh, every other week, seemingly now. So Julian is back up for, is this his third stint, I want to say? Yeah, third stint uh, with the Twins this season. And he's basically taking over as the primary second baseman. And uh, I said this a little bit on the Patreon, but I'll say it again. Do not expect Jorge Polanco to be back anytime soon. This is not going to be a two-week or three-week uh, hamstring recovery. Um, I think this is going to be – I will be shocked. I mean, he's already been on the IL for, what, 10 days or something. I will be shocked if he's back before July. Um, I might even say before the All-Star break, uh, I'll be shocked. So, you know, as we talk about, you know, runways and clear paths and, you know, extended opportunities – uh, Eddie Julian's going to get one at second base. Now yeah. it may not look real pretty at second base defensively because he's <laughs> just, he's just uh, not not looked good and probably not good. But offensively, uh, he looks real nice. And I think I would love to have both Jorge Polanco and Edward Julian in the lineup together at the same time. I would but like to have them both play second base on the same day. One on the field and one in the one in the batter's box. That's yeah okay. Uh, that's interesting. Yeah, that takes the uh, the softball rover idea to a whole nother level, I suppose. Um, but the silver lining here is yes, you hate to lose Polanco, especially if it ends up being a significant amount of time, which I expect it to be. 
but you're in a rare position here where you can just say, oh, we'll call up this monster hitting prospect who's, you know, chomping at the bit to get a chance and we'll just plug him in at second base. And yeah, you're going to suffer defensively. But, you know, you plug in Julian atop that lineup and he's already made a huge impact. I mean, his ability to draw walks and grind out at bats and make the pitchers work and then also his ability to hit the shit out of the ball. Uh, you know, he's he's driven the ball. He's got four or five homers. He's got a bunch of doubles. Uh, he can be a, a decent base runner for them. Aside from the defense, which I'm not saying that's a that's a big factor, the defense. But he has a chance to be a, a true impact, long-term building block hitter um, atop this lineup. And I think, you know, similar to the discussion with like Walner or Larnick, it's a good thing that the Twins are kind of being forced to give him this runway and say, you got a month at least to play. Go go do it. And my guess is by the time Jorge Polanco is ready to return, they're not going to have any interest in sending down Edward Julian, which is going to create, you know, they're going to have to make a decision at that point. Something's going right. to gonna have to change. But that's well, a I mean, he, he's, he's certainly valuable enough that all you, have to do, all you have to know about Julian is that whenever he is, since he has been called up, he's been the leadoff hitter. Right. I mean, unless they were facing a left-hander like last night, he has been the lead-off guy. So he is already directly considered to be one of the you know top four guys that you are going to be relying on in this offense already. So yeah, I mean, this might get me nominated for a preposter statement uh, tournament, but I don't think it's out of the question that right now uh, Edward Julian is the Twins' best hitter. And I don't mean like today or I don't mean like over the last two weeks. I just mean like true talent level right now going forward. I think there's a reasonable chance that he's their best hitter. You know, maybe Correa or Buxton is their best hitter. But like I really do believe he's he's legit. Like I think he's just going to draw a ton of walks. I think he's going to hit for power. I think he's going to steal some bases. I think you know the the strikeout rate with him is going to determine is he a star or is he just really good um but i think there's some potential to to keep the strikeouts reasonable there or at least balance them with you know 75 walks a year which is nice yeah. but he's legit i mean i i mean i'm just so impressed by his ability and especially you dig into some of the numbers or you start looking at the uh the uh like umpiring that's gone against him like he just doesn't swing at bad pitches, and a lot of times he doesn't swing at borderline pitches, which crosses passive at times. So that's you know maybe he gets a little more aggressive in certain spots. But like we we talk about this a lot with relief pitchers, where like Brock Stewart kind of comes out of nowhere, and you're like, is this guy for real? And you can break down all the numbers you want. You can talk about their background. You can talk about scouting. But at some point, like with a reliever, if you throw 98 with a good slider you're a good reliever. Like, I don't really need to know that much more information about <laughs> right. it. Yeah. Uh, now, what, can you stay healthy? Can you, you know, be a closer, all that stuff. But just, you you just hand me a pitcher sight unseen and he consistently throws 98, 99 and it's got a swimming and miss slider. I can tell you with a lot of confidence that, oh, that guy will be a good reliever. With Julian, it's a little more complicated, but you show me a left-handed hitter who can drive the ball to all fields has shown 20 homer power in the minors and hits the ball hard already in the majors and has some speed. And more importantly, draws walks just, yeah, by he's the got bushel. a batting eye. It's elite, right? Right. And you look at, I think I didn't look updated after last night, but he only had one at bat last night. You pinch hit, but the, the lowest, there's a stat called chase rate. Uh, that's on baseball savant, which is essentially just 
how often does this guy swing at pitches that are not in the strike zone? And, you know, any little league coach probably told anybody who listened to this, swing at strikes, don't swing at non-strikes or make them throw you strikes. And that's, you know, the foundational building block of any hitter. Julian is at like, I think, 15% chase rate. And that is was, as of yesterday, tied for the lowest in the majors with Juan Soto. Uh, who is like one of the more famous, disciplined, <laughs> right. walk drawing, impossible to pitch to guys, you know, in the last 50 years or whatever. And so, you know, maybe that changes as pitchers start to attack him more, right. um, where the passivity comes into play and all that. But if you just show me a 24 year old left handed hitter who can hit 20 homer, 20, po- 20 homers to all fields, has drawn 100 walks in the minors and just doesn't refuses to swing at bad pitches. I can tell you that guy's going to be a pretty good hitter unless the strikeouts just completely overwhelm the rest of the profile. But I'm uh, I'm very excited about Ed Julian if that's not been apparent since <laughs> since spring training. I feel like we've been I've been doing these yeah. little monologues about Ed Julian. You know, I have I have a I have a, my trapper keeper notebook. And I write uh, M- Mr. Aaron Julian over and over. <laughs> you know, I, I'm just I'm so fully convinced that he's he's legit and so. You know, if it if the Polanco injury is what it takes to give him the clear path to prove himself that guys like Larnick and Walner are not being given a chance to do in the outfield because of Kepler, then you know, so be it. That's uh, unfortunate with Polanco, but that's it's a it's a silver lining for sure. What gives me what gives me it, when I take a look at the Twins lineup and how this team becomes something more than a mediocre to bad offensive producing lineup just something to where it's you know one of the top half of the american league i don't feel like that's asking too much get to fifth or sixth in the american league despite the fact that they've been scoring some runs lately i take a look at where those runs have been coming from and you know uh listen i think donovan solano is a, a good hitter a decent enough hitter but i don't want my offense relying on donovan solano right but when i take a look at Okay, now here Correa is starting to hit. We've got Julian at the top of the lineup. Uh, we've got Buxton coming back. Let's see what he where he's at. Right, you see uh, Kirilov, you know, continuing to be pretty good uh, with uh, with what he has been doing. You know, you're starting to see not just you know the results in the short term, like oh hey, we we actually scored seven runs today, right? But a a top half of the lineup that looks like it could do some damage. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm again, I'm more focused on where this offense is in August and September than I am on where they are in June and July. And, you know, I know that we're going to have to figure out where Julian actually slides into the, the defensive side of this equation. Right. And that there's still, you know, some questions about how crowded it can be, but you do start seeing, you know, some hope for, you know, this lineup could continue to move forward a little bit, regardless of the fact that Michael Taylor is suddenly hitting three run bombs every, you know, you know for a, a two week period, every other month, you know, right. You're, so. you're sort of saying, which I agree with is like, yeah, you love to get contributions from the Donovan Solano's and the Michael Taylor's right. yeah. and, and on and on the Willie Castro's of the world. That's great. You, any team needs that. I mean, if you're right. going to be successful over six months, you need that, but you want to also, kind of build what looks like a more sustainable you know group of impact hitters and i think 
I agree with what you're saying about Julian and Kirloff and all that stuff, but that's sort of why I view the corner outfield situation and the Kepler situation so negatively, which is depth is valuable in a lot of circumstances and putting in place a roster or a depth chart where you've kept the floor pretty high in your mind does have value because as we saw last year, if the bottom drops out of that right. floor, things can get really bad really quickly. But right. A, it's not clear to me that Max Kepler's floor is even all that high anymore. I mean, the guys right. hit 185 for now the last 90 games. Like, that's a low floor. Like, the, the whole premise of we got to keep him around his depth and at least he's, you know, capable, at least he's competent. Well, that's not even really been the case for a while now. And right. the flip side, B, is to your point, which is you should be trying to move forward to a better lineup just in general, but a more sustainable, you know, group that you can build towards, like you said, a top five lineup with not just how can we kind of maintain averageness for as long as possible here. And to me, Max Kepler does not move you towards that goal an inch. And in fact, he's probably taking you away from that goal. And maybe in time, it proves true that Matt Walner or Trevor Larnick don't actually move you to that goal either but there's at least a chance of them moving you to that goal. There's at least a chance of, you know, Matt Walner being a long-term number five hitter for you, you know, and hitting 30 homers in a couple of years and actually, you know, being an impact bat for you. I'm less sure about Larnick, but I haven't ruled that out. Certainly there's more chance of that with Larnick than there is with Kepler. And right. so on, on top of all the stuff, just who's better today. I think you can argue that the answer is not Kepler who's better in the future. I think you can definitely answer the, that it's not Kepler, but then bigger picture, more just like theoretically or like, you know, what is your goal here? Your goal here is to put together a group of, you know, mid twenties hitters who can kind of mature as one and really form a nucle- nucleus that's, you know, can actually do some things. And Max Kepler is not going to be part of that. And maybe the twins don't think Trevor Larnick and, and Matt Walner will be part of that either. But man, I'd love to at least find out, right? I mean, like, right, yeah. Especially at a time when you're not getting production from Kepler anyway, I would just like to find out. So, right. yes, yeah. you've you've managed to um, bring up Max Kepler as a point that I hadn't even I, considered. I, 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 I didn't actually bring him up that time. That was you. Well, yeah. <laughs> I'm just trying to blame you when people say. Uh, okay, should we? By talk the way, a you're gonna bit? love the Twins Daily story we got today by Red Bulls too. <laughs> oh boy! Oh boy! <laughs> This is going to get me in trouble with the twins. Yep. Who are, who, is it really? It might get me in trouble with the twins. Who, we'll see. Who, for all their uh, strengths and weaknesses, not uh, not the best at identifying satire on the internet. Let's say <laughs> uh, about themselves. But um, so yeah, I'm sure I don't I haven't read it, but <laughs> well, it was published during the podcast. So oh, great. Right, that's yeah. smart. Publish it while I'm busy. <laughs> that's how I, that's how I blindside you. Yeah, oh, that's boy. exactly right. Um. Should we talk? I'll give you two choices here. Sonny Gray or Jorge Lopez? Who do you want to talk about right now? <laughs> well, still, we better talk Sonny Gray. Okay. So last night, Sonny Gray starts uh, against the Tigers, and he uh, runs into some real trouble in the uh, in the fourth inning. Right. 35 pitches. They're up 4-2. Uh, yeah, 4-2. Uh, 35 pitches, which I will say in the minor leagues, when pitchers for the Twins pitching prospects – reach 35 or 40 pitches i forget what the cutoff is in an inning they're removed from the game right. because the th- the 
thought process is it becomes too high stress within a single inning to have a guy throw 35, 40 pitches, which almost always, you know, involves the bases being loaded or multiple right. walks. It's hard to throw 40 pitches efficiently. And the same way throwing 130 over nine innings is, is a stress on the air. I'm throwing, you know, 40, 45 in an inning. is a stress right. on the air. And so I know people, again, I suspect some people who maybe don't have access to watching the game are going to look and say, well, Sonny Gray was removed after four innings and he only threw, I forget what it was, 78 pitches or whatever it was. Right. You go, well, obviously he had room for one more inning. He wasn't even at 80 pitches. Well, well, yeah, but it's not the average pitch count. It's the fact that in the inning before he was pulled, he walked three guys, had to wriggle out of a bases loaded jam and ended up throwing 35 pitches, which is very high stress. And uh, Baldelli actually said afterward that had Gray not gotten the last batter he faced out, he was going to get removed in the fourth inning. Right. Uh, Giovanni Moran was fully warmed up, and that was going to be Sonny Gray's last batter no matter what. They weren't going to let him get to 40 or 45 pitches and allow multiple runs. Um, now, Sonny Gray did get the last out. He did wriggle out of his own jam pretty effectively. And then he uh, went to the dugout, and he put his jacket on to remain warm, and he sat there, and then... You know, seemingly right around the time he was starting to get ready to go back out for the fifth, uh, Baldelli came up to him and uh, said, uh, you're coming out of the game. And to the surprise of no one, Sonny Gray was not happy to hear that. And they had, uh, you know, a pretty lengthy discussion, heated discussion, let's call it. It didn't strike me. I don't know. Did you see no, I did not see any of the discussion. The, okay. the, the Canada's so, game version didn't have it. So, so in the like real time, uh, Bally showed like three separate little like five second clips because they would only they would like cut to the dugout between pitches. It was a, it was maybe the only circumstance this year where the pitch clock really was bad because <laughs> there wasn't <laughs> yeah. as much time to 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 you know uh, gawk at what was going on in the dugout. But then they came back from commercial the next inning and played kind of the extended director's cut okay. uh, of the whole discussion. And, you know, people can watch it for themselves and, you know, try to read lips or body language. My takeaway watching it in real time without before even talking to the people involved afterward was Gray was a not happy to be removed, but he's never happy to be removed. He even said that after the game, like I've never been in a game in my entire life where I wanted to come out of the game. So right. yeah, that happened. Um, I think also he was very frustrated with his own performance and rightfully yep. so. Yeah, he, he sounded like it in the game in the right. post game interview. And then as sort of the icing on that on that cake, he was surprised to be removed. Like he clearly right. was expecting to go back out there. So you fold all three of those things in. He never wants to come out of the game. He was mad at himself and frustrated by the situation and kind of I don't want to say got blindsided, but wasn't expecting to get removed. So his reaction was basically, what? What do you mean I'm getting removed? And then he was frustrated. And it looked to me like when Baldelli came up to tell him that Baldelli wanted to like chat about it. And Sonny Gray tried to like grab his glove and just head to the clubhouse, which um, I probably would do that also rather than. I think probably in Sonny Gray's mind, it was like, I can either have some sort of confrontation here or I can just, you know, let some right. of the steam out in the clubhouse, which is the better way to go. But for whatever reason, Rocco Baldelli kind of halted that and wanted to talk about it, which is how everyone saw the, you know, 45 second uh, conversation. 
but right. you know it didn't get physical by any means there was it didn't strike me as yelling i mean these neither of them are really yellers generally right. um so afterward well and so to make matters worse then giovanni moran comes in for the fifth right. gives up three runs and then right. the twins also give up more they they go on and they lose they give up six unanswered runs right. uh, after after gray's departure so then um you know afterward we talked to both of them and Sonny Gray went first and uh, Sonny Gray is prone to monologuing he'd be a good podcast yeah. <laughs> Sonny Gray you basically yes. you stick a, you stick a quarter in Sonny Gray with your first question and he just goes and yeah. this was a version of that I've never even seen from him which is Audra Martin asked him basically uh you know did you want to stay in and he went for like six minutes. Just- yeah, I think it was two questions, honestly. Yeah, it was two questions, and it was maybe a fifteen-minute long. Well, I can let me look. I have conversation. This, I have this on my phone because I recorded <laughs> it. It was. Um, let's see. I want to say it was ten minutes and seventeen seconds, and he was asked three questions. Uh, so, he was asked three questions. Okay, I yeah. did. <laughs> I missed the third one. I guess. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so here's. I mean, people. The clips have been posted, I think, but um, my sense of being in the room and watching Sonny Gray and also having sat in now on, I don't know, 25 post-start media sessions with Sonny Gray, he's always kind of like that. Often the frustration is directed at himself and the kind of monologue. He likes to walk himself through the start. Yes. And if that answers your question, even better. He is uh, digesting if, verbally right in front of you. Right. And yeah. if you if you watch the clip from last night, you know, he spoke for 11 minutes. It was probably about three minutes of material repeated three times. Right. Yes. Um, and I'm no I'm not one to talk when it comes to that. Like I've repeated <laughs> I've repeated 90 seconds of Max Kepler material 400 times, obviously. <laughs> so I'm not ripping him there. But I mean, he truly like sometimes he'll just say the same phrase over and over and over again. And it's because I think in his mind, he's sort of zoned out. He's like past the in point the of fight, doing, in yeah, the fight. Right. He literally, I, well, yeah. I transcribed this interview. So I know <laughs> yeah. I, here's what I did. I went upstairs to transcribe it and I very quickly typed. Um, I wanted to stay in the fight and then I copied and pasted it <laughs> over and over. So I wouldn't have to type it the same phrase again because i knew he said it like 30 (laughs) times but my takeaway from that was um and by the way i appreciate the emotion from sunny gray and i'd rather have someone who over talks and walks you through it than just gives you quick answers so i'm not criticizing him on that front um my sense was he was a little bit like i said a little bit blindsided by it he was very frustrated with himself like he yes. got asked questions as it relates to the confrontation with Rocco, and he, he made it clear he wasn't happy about that. But I don't think he really played up, you know, any sort of long term issue or, you know, that I think he, he was more harsh on himself, basically saying, yeah, I, I agree. keep doing this to myself. I don't know why I keep walking the bases loaded or, you know, cruising for three or four innings and then just running into trouble in the fifth because my command fails me. And he kept saying, I'm not even getting hit hard. I'm just right. doing it to myself, and I've got to stop doing that. I'm not going to read the exact so the, quote, but the answer to the first question was all about, uh, you know, 
being frustrated that he was had to leave the game, etc., and how he th- felt like he was still right. in the fight. And the answer to the second question, which was even longer than the answer to the first question, was almost solely about, uh, you know, I'm so frustrated with myself. I've got to figure this out. It's happening over and over and over again. I've got to figure it out the next couple three days. Like it was clear that there was a tremendous amount of frustration. Yes. And he was asked basically like, is this a mechanical thing? And he said, I don't know. I'm going to spend the next two or three days right. trying to figure that out because I've got to get this right. I cannot continue to do this. And that is obviously true. I mean, to his point, his point then off that was, look, I keep pitching myself into these jams and I hate it and I'm really frustrated by it. But within that, I do generally pitch myself out of the jams. Right. And he kind of said my takeaway from that or my perception of what he was saying was I would like credit for that. I would like to have more leeway than an average pitcher. I would like for Baldelli in that situation to say, yes, he's pitched himself into a huge jam. Yes, he walked three guys. Yes, he got to 35 pitches in the fourth inning. But we've seen Sonny Gray get out of that and then be okay afterward. And I think he would. Right. He wanted Baldelli to say, you got through that. Let's see what you got in the fifth. Now, he also said, I get where Baldelli's coming from. I was pitching horribly, which you know, is undeniably true. I, I don't know. I was debating at the time, like, would I have removed him? I think it was to me like a real 50, 50. I think I probably would have left him in for the fifth, but I also just think the focus is on performance a lot of the time, but in the twins mind, it's the 35 pitches and the high stress inning and the notion of, do we really need to squeeze another inning out of a guy who's clearly struggling and doesn't have his best stuff and mechanically seems out of whack? Do we really need to squeeze an extra inning out of him on June 15th in, by the way, what is a two run game so that if we're wrong and he does go back out there and walks two more guys, then we're going to have a, you know, an issue on our hands again. Now it happened that they went to the bullpen and the bullpen was terrible. So that also, I mean, Moran has been pretty good. They have a fair amount of confidence in what he's been doing recently. So, so yeah, I I don't know. It was interesting. And then Baldelli afterward, just to finish this up, he came in. We talked to Gray first. Then there was like a five minute break, and then Baldelli came in. And uh, Baldelli was asked similar questions. Um, the the one takeaway I had from Baldelli was he repeated multiple times. I basically I have no problem with Sonny Gray's behavior there. I want a pitcher who wants to stay in the game. I want a pitcher who fights to stay in the game. I don't want to come up to a pitcher and say, how are you feeling? And have that pitcher go, eh, not great. Why don't you pull me? Like that, He's like, I, I want them to force me to make the tough decision. I don't want guys opting out of games. I don't want guys saying, eh, you might want to think about taking me out. But his other point was, somebody has to make the tough decision. And mm-hmm. well, it's generally a good thing for Sonny Gray to have the attitude of, like he said, I've never in my life wanted to leave a start. If that's the case, well, there are starts in which the good decision is removing Sonny Gray, right? I mean, that has to be true. And so if Sonny Gray is never happy to be removed from a start, someone has to anger Sonny Gray at times by removing him from starts. And it's a good decision sometimes. Was it a good decision last night? I don't know. But even when it is a good decision, Sonny Gray is not going to be too happy about it. So I thought, you know, under the circumstances, I'm not going to say that they, uh, you know, hugged it out afterward and went for breakfast this morning or anything like that. But 
I don't know. I thought they both handled it reasonably well. A in the dugout, which I've seen fifty times worse than that in a dugout before between sure. manager and player or player and player. Yeah, well, I mean, when they are both at, at you know feeling the pressure or sure. their emotions are riding as high as they're going to ride. I mean, yeah. ask a Twins bench coach Jace Tingler how the last month in San Diego went in terms of dugout. Uh, there right. were multiple fights between players uh, right. under yeah, his watch. Right. I mean, stuff happens, and so I thought. Given the circumstances, they both handled it pretty well post game, while both sticking to their guns generally. Like they yeah. didn't say, you know, I take it back or I made a mistake or anything like that. They both basically said, I think I was right and the other person disagreed and that's fine. And, uh, you know, we'll smooth things over. But, you know, I think it's also worth noting that two things here. One, in Sonny Gray's last six starts, he has a 381 ERA with only 23 strikeouts in 31 innings and 14 walks in those 31 innings. And he's gone more than six innings in just two of his last eight starts. Yeah. He hasn't looked that good. I mean, like he said, he's he doesn't know why this keeps happening to him and he needs to fix it. And then the other thing I'll point out is the night before, or the yeah, the night before, the day before, the Twins matched their entire 2022 total with their 39th start of this season that lasted six-plus innings. They've already matched last season's total, and as of this morning, they are tied for the major league lead in innings per start. They are tied with the Astros. And so did Sonny Gray get a quick hook last night? Absolutely. Did Sonny Gray deserve a quick hook last night? I think it's 50-50 in my mind. I think the way he's pitched over the last few weeks played a part in that. The 35 pitches he threw played a part in that. But beyond that, the idea that Rocco is looking to pull these guys early from games, like he's looking for an excuse to do that, is very outdated at this point. I don't think it was ever true. I think it was based, like we've talked about, on Chris Archer and Dylan Bundy and Devin Smeltzer and just fearing those guys just getting blown up if they're allowed to go deeper in games. But we've seen this year, he wants these guys to go six or seven innings. He want, He's given Sonny Gray pretty long leash in a lot of situations and in some of those situations Sonny Gray has made it a mistake like Sonny Gray right. has run yes. into trouble in the sixth right. inning or the seventh inning or in the fourth inning in this case so I don't know the the twins pitcher starting pitchers are going longer in their starts than anyone in baseball Sonny Gray is struggling and there was a 42 game so I think I don't know hopefully today cooler heads prevail but if not I you know I think they're they're both, it's one of those, I don't want to call it an argument, but it's one of those things where they both can kind of be right and kind of be wrong, I think. I uh, I was, when I saw him come out again, you know, I thought, he seems to be coming out early a lot recently. So yeah, I took a look, quick look at his game log the last, it's the third time in his last four starts that he has come out after the, um, with less than 80 pitches. Right. Right. And that made me wonder, are they trying to protect him from something? Like, is there something going on that this is a, they are being careful with the sunny gray for some reason. And I, you know, I, it didn't sound like from any of the conversations I heard or any of the interviews I heard that that is an issue that there's, right. There's nothing that they're worried about with him dealing with a tired arm or no, but here I'll, like I'll say, yeah, he said he was fine physically, but also he always says that, but <laughs> 
I don't think he's hurt or anything. I think he clearly has not been on the top of his game lately. So that probably right. has, it, it, you know, has their uh, antenna up a little bit. But also, let's be honest, Sonny Gray is a really good pitcher and he's been great for the Twins. But Sonny Gray has been no workhorse over the course of his career. I mean, last season he threw 119 innings for the Twins. Right. The season before that for Cincinnati, he threw 135 innings. He's thrown more than 175 innings zero times since 2015 yeah. and so well, and, 70- and, and, and as i looked at those those last four games i was like yeah he's been under 80 pitches the last three three of the last four games the one time he wasn't you know he started the inning in cleveland he started the seventh inning versus cleveland uh, i think under 70 pitches right or right around 70 pitches and ended up giving up two runs and got pulled at 90 pitches you know right. like you know and the and the game went from two to one to three to two Right. And and here's the thing. Like I said, Sonny Gray would admit he never thinks it's right to pull him from a game, except right. there's been a couple of times like that game that you just pointed to this season where Rocco Baldelli has put him back out there longer than most people probably expected and has given him a chance to extend the outing and has done what Sonny Gray would undoubtedly want him to do. And it hasn't always worked out. And afterward, no one ever goes boy, the gall of Sonny Gray to do that or, you know, fire Sonny Gray and all that because no one ever cares when it doesn't work out. Everyone just right. has this, um, you know, nirvana in their head of every starting pitcher goes seven innings every day when they're given a chance to do that and they don't come through in that spot. It, that's okay. It's not the end of the world, but it does sometimes lead to a manager being cautious the next time or, you know, the next few times. So I don't know. I, I think, the bigger issue is they got to get Sonny Gray back on track because Sonny Gray right. was has been their most valuable player this season. Right. Sonny Gray is their best pitcher. Sonny Gray is their best chance to have a true number one starter. Um, okay, so let's uh, let's just finish up with uh, with Jorge with, Lopez with here. a with a big pick me up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, look, nobody is complaining that they left. They they don't leave Jorge Lopez in long enough. Right? So, <laughs> exactly. What do you want? Right. Um, Lopez, uh, we've talked quite a bit about him, but he uh, was used. Let's see, it was what was the score? It was five it was four, f- five four when he came in in the eighth inning, right? Right. And I w- I will say I was surprised by that. Um, I was too. He warmed up alongside Brock Stewart, and I said, "Boy, that's interesting." I guess that means if the Twins don't score and they're still down a run. It's going to be Jorge Lopez. If they do score and either tie it or take the lead, it'll be Brock Stewart, which, yes, that's logical. It's just that down a run, yeah. well, not high leverage by any means, probably on the low end of medium leverage, basically. Uh, down a run is sure as hell not the spot I want Jorge Lopez in because that can turn into down four runs, although he did pitch a scoreless eighth. Yeah, eighth inning was great. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he did give up. I think he gave up one hit, but like, and his velocity was down a little bit. But, yes, he got out of the eighth inning. To go back to him for the ninth inning is just, I mean, that is. I, I, people are going to obsess about the Sonny Gray situation yesterday. I mean, I think the most egregious decision was sending Jorge Lopez, not letting him end on a relative high note, and sending him back out there to, you know, put the game out of reach, basically. Maybe. But Maybe. Um, th- he's been held back for low leverage. Their problem is they don't play a lot of low leverage games because they don't score runs and their pitching has been good. So, you know, down a run is low leverage, relatively speaking for them. There aren't a lot of blowouts 
one way or the other with the Twins lately that they can use someone like Jorge Lopez in. The, but it's just startling, like the the how quickly and thoroughly he's fallen apart. He pitched twelve innings in April with a zero ERA. He right. gave up an unearned run, but a zero ERA. He was closing some games. He was their primary setup man. He was coming through in big spots. Since May first, he's allowed sixteen runs in fifteen innings, and it's uh, it's getting worse, not better. Um, it's just it's put them in such a difficult spot because. He can't be sent to the minors. Right. He, you know, you can say just put him on the injured list, but it, that has to be a real injury, or at least right, the yeah. player has to, uh, you know, approve of whatever the situation is. And that's not happening. So, you know, it's not dissimilar, I guess, to Pagan in the middle of last year, where the Twins say, well, we're just going to bump him to the bottom of the bullpen hierarchy and we're only going to use him in spots that don't matter, except then he ends up coming into spots that do kind of matter. Right. Uh, theoretically, and you can only do that with so many pitchers. You're still also still kind of trying to do it with Pagan, right? Yeah, <laughs> you, you're doing that with Pagan. You're doing that with Josh Winder. You're doing you know, <laughs> yeah. on and on and on. Like right. when half the bullpen is low leverage and you don't have many low leverage. Well, guess what? Somebody's pitching medium leverage. Right. Um, you know, you you look back at what they gave up to get him, which at this point looks horrible uh, for them. Uh, you know, Jenny or Cano who was sort of a toss into the trade has been the best reliever in the American league this season is going to make the all-star team. Uh, and then Cade Povich, who was the main guy in the trade at the time, a left-handed starting pitcher who I think was at high a or double a at the time has really, you know, taken a step forward. Actually last night, I didn't tweet this because it would have made everybody furious as uh, Lopez was, was struggling, but Cade Povich took a perfect game into the seventh inning at double a for the Orioles and had 12 strikeouts. I mean, he's emerged as like a borderline top 100 prospect. He's probably going to be in the majors. If not this season, then certainly next season, that trade just has a chance to look abysmal for the twins. I mean, it already does look abysmal for the twins, but you know, they thought there was some risk with Lopez. He only had a track record when they traded for him of like 50 innings of, but there was also significant upside. They made the all-star team. Yeah. Right. But, and the argument at the time, and we made it, was, yes, his track record is really bad, and he's only been really good for 50 innings, but he's only been a reliever for 50 innings. And so the track record being bad as a starter isn't necessarily disqualifying from a guy immediately becoming a good reliever. I mean, we see that right now with Brock Stewart, or we see that with, you know, Glenn Perkins or Joe Nathan or, who you know, whoever. Sometimes you move to the bullpen, and it's just a completely different. Unfortunately, from the moment they traded for him, he just has not been good. I mean, he pitched himself from the closer role to mop up in about a month, you know, in August of last season. And then they handed him back a setup role and he was good in April. And now he's pitched himself into a mop up role again. Yeah. And it's, it's a tough spot. There's no easy way to sort of set him aside and not have to use him unless there's an injury involved. But I mean, I, I really wonder at this point, you know, when do you start? They don't want to, give up on him because a they were counting on him to fill a key role they don't really have a replacement it's not like the bullpen is overflowing in great options at this point and then b like i said they gave up a fair amount to get him at the time and that has turned into an incredible amount of value right now and so to give up on him to you know trade him or cut him or dfa him right now yeah i mean that's horrendous optics it's one thing just to try to figure out what you're going to do with the player how you're going to redo the re- rehab the player etc get him back on track they also in the meantime are 
trying to juggle through, you know, just one or a little too much juggling going on in the bullpen right now with, uh, with Theo bar out Jack's, you know, thank God Jack's is starting to look like him, his old self again, because good Lord, where would they be without him the last, you know, two weeks? Uh, thank God for Brock Stewart coming in and doing some stuff like they just, it, it feels like they're going into every gunfight, one bullet short, you know, yes. a lot of this stuff. So, yeah. And with Lopez, I mean, I think he's been bad enough for long enough and his lack of track record should be reason for skepticism that he can turn it around. I mean, we've talked about this for, before mm-hmm. when Jax was struggling I think we both were on this show saying, give it time. There's, right. there's reasons yes. to think he can get back on track. And I'm not just saying that because he is back on track now. But, you know, with Pagan, that's not something I said. You know, with, some, <laughs> right. yeah. with some relievers, you look at it and it's subjective. Obviously, there's some objectivity in it, but it's subjective. With Lopez, I mean, I've been saying this for weeks now. I, I have no faith in, in him being back on track. And I don't believe if there is a back on track. I mean, I. I don't think he's as bad as he looks. I think he can become a functional reliever again. But I think the the version of him that they thought they were trading for does not exist uh, in reality, or at least will not exist. And so at that point, you got to look at your bullpen. You got to look at, you know, it becomes a sunk cost. Like, yes, you gave up a really lot to get him, and that looks horrible right now. But there's no way to undo that. And And letting Jorge Lopez go out and hurt you more uh, game by game is not going to make the trade look any better. It's going to make it look even worse. And so the the equation or the math that they kind of have to do now is it's going to clearly going to, if he's going to get back on track, it's going to take a while here. Can you live with him in a low leverage role for a while? Let's say a month. If you think there's a chance that gets him back on track, but then the math you have to do is, are we confident even if he kind of gets back on track that he's someone we can rely upon in a medium or high leverage role in the second half of this season, you know, whereas with Pagan, their thing is like, well, we'll get him back on track, but we'll still just use him as a low leverage guy. Well, if that's the case, then what are you doing with Lopez? And then beyond that, part of the reason he costs a lot to get. And part of the reason they targeted him was he's, he was not just a rental. He's under control for this season and next season, except at this point, what does the team control for 2024? What value does that have in Jorge Lopez? Like if you're yeah. not even able to use him in games that matter now. And so, I, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm not someone who gives up on this type of thing easily. Um, But, and there's a very obvious need for a Lopez type reliever to step forward. But man, I don't know. I, I don't yeah. know. Like, I'll, g- I'll give you one more thing to worry about a little bit. Yeah, they, if the Twins end up making a trade at the trade deadline, they, they've got about a 50% success rate on these things when they're going for relief pitchers, right? They had, uh, they had uh, Dyson, right? Did not work out. Romo did work out. Uh, Fuller kind of worked out, worked out fairly well. Uh, and, uh, and Lopez is not working out. So, you know, if they are trying to address this, if they, if they do try to address this at the trade deadline, which is looking more and more like they're going to need to do, uh, you know, <laughs> they, they don't have the best hit rate when it comes to making trades for these guys. So, they could look into Jenny or Cano from the Orioles. <laughs> Pick him up, maybe. For, um, so, yeah, Jorge Lopez, a, uh, I would describe him as a full-scale mess at this point. Okay. Um, Speaking good, of full-scale mess, I will be back in town on Monday. <laughs> yeah, we're going to do a Patreon Monday that's in right. person. 
<laughs> we will be talking about the uh, Tigers series. So, you know, if they win, maybe, you know, if you uh, if they take two out of three from the Tigers, give yourself a, a treat and, uh, and yeah. check in for uh, the Monday morning show where we talk about uh, the successful series versus the Tigers. Yeah. And you know what? If they don't, if they like get swept by the Tigers, you might want to listen to that show anyway. Give yourself a treat. <laughs> yeah. Give yourself some therapy. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's P-A-T-R-E-O-N, patreon.com slash Gleeman. We would love to have you join us. We're uh, I think we're at our all-time high now for subscribers. We're uh, nearing the 4,000 subscriber mark, which uh, we talked a little bit about my situation with The Athletic, and I can tell you guys that uh, the success of the Patreon podcast and this podcast in general has really um, changed both of our lives, but especially given the state of the baseball writing industry at this point <laughs> uh, has really been huge for me. And so I th- thank you guys for that. And if you've been on the fence about joining the Patreon, now would be a, uh, now would be a great time to do it. Um, you can listen to us break down, uh, thank break down you the to, series uh, the same way that Sunny Gray breaks down a, a poor start versus, uh, versus Detroit. <laughs> yeah, I do. I should start holding the baseball in my hand. He likes, <laughs> he held the baseball in his hand that entire time. And, and I watched him and I, you sometimes when he's in a sort of good mood, he'll toss the baseball up in the air to himself and catch it like 50 times during <laughs> while he's talking. This time I watched him and he kept it kind of by his like thigh or hip while he was sitting there at the podium. And he just spun the ball over and over in his hands with what looked to me like a curveball grip just <laughs> over and over and over like a stress ball, basically, That's just funny. you know, had to be 500 times or something like that. So maybe I'll try that uh, <laughs> during a podcast. All right. Um, thank you to Game Time. Download the Game Time app and use the promo code Gleeman. And also Harry's Razors. Go to harrys.com slash Gleeman. And thank you guys for listening. And we will be back uh, Monday. Gleeman. Gleeman.